It's time to ignite your soul and unlock your full potential. Join us on Beneath the Helmet, the podcast exploring firefighters' health and wellness. Hosted by retired fire chief Arjuna George, our podcast is the perfect place to start your journey towards becoming the best version of yourself. So come on, let's join the conversation and find out what sets your soul on fire. All right, everyone, welcome back to Beneath the Helmet podcast show. Can't believe it, this is episode number five. Today, I'm joined with a very special guest and fellow author, podcaster, Captain Jim Moss. Jim is an exceptional leader and author of two books, Firefighter Functional Fitness and Firefighter Success. Both are excellent reads and highly recommended to all firefighters. Be sure to check both those books out and links to the books will be in the show notes of this episode. Captain Moss serves the Metro West Fire Protection District in St. Louis County as a firefighter paramedic. He's also a seasoned podcast host of the Firefighter Success Podcast, which I was lucky enough to be a podcast guest on in episode 71. So be sure to check that out. In this episode, Jim will share his views on leadership of others as well as self-leadership. What I really loved about this episode was Jim's new mindset shift to unhurrying, slowing down, and creating a simple life while still being an incredible family man and leader. Jim discusses many points on how to be a great leader, how to ensure that our body, mind, and spirit are all running smooth. He also shares his personal values of faith, family, firefighting, and fitness, the four Fs. But before we jump into this episode, could I ask a favor of you? If you would be able to help Beneath the Helmet grow by subscribing to our YouTube channel, sharing on social media, and most of all, following and listening to this show. Each episode, a guest shares a unique experience and quite often tips that can help us excel in our life and in our careers. By supporting the BTH show, you're also supporting those that share their stories. For more information or how to connect with myself, the show host, visit beneaththehelmet.ca. My first book, Burnt Around the Edges, may also be of interest to you. This book is my burnout story, my journey about mastering stress. You can purchase a signed copy from myself at burntaroundtheedges.com, as well as Amazon, Google, and Apple Books. As this episode goes live, FDIC 2023 is just starting. So in honor of the great Bobby Halton and his amazing contributions to the fire service, this episode is dedicated to the late Bobby Halton. Please enjoy this episode with Captain Jim Moss, and until next time, stay well. All right. We got Jim Moss with us today. This is going to be an awesome episode. Can't wait to dig into your books, your life, who you are as a person, a leader, family man. It's going to be an exciting topic. So welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited. Payback. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I had the honor to be on your show a couple of months ago and that was a real treat. So appreciate that. Yep. Yep. I hope to repay the favor and do as well as you did coming on my show. And, and hopefully I can deliver like you delivered on my show. Well, I can guarantee you'll do awesome. I'd love to start off. There's probably a lot of firefighters listening to this podcast right now who know who Jim Moss is, but maybe for those who don't give a little backstory, who you are, where you came from and what brought you to where you are today. Yeah. So how long do you got? So I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri in the United States. My fire service journey started when I was in college. I was actually going to be a high school Spanish teacher. And so in college, I was getting a bachelor's in Spanish, did the study abroad, did all that stuff. And I was still on that path towards being a high school Spanish teacher. But my junior year came around and I was someone who liked physical work, the demanding physical work. I liked staying fit. I liked being outside in changing environments. And I did not want a Monday through Friday, nine to five kind of job. And it's funny, my dad raising me, he said he was a lawyer, always brought his work home with him, was a workaholic, always working. And he always told me, don't get a job where you're going to bring your work home with you. And he was a lawyer. And he always said, never, ever become a lawyer. My uncle, his brother, was a police officer for St. Louis City. And his other brother, my other uncle, was a detective. So I figured the natural career path for me is to be a firefighter paramedic. If they got all those bases covered in our family, I'm going to be a firefighter paramedic. So that was my junior year. I decided I was going to become a firefighter because of the work demands and what I like doing. 
wasn't a nine to five kind of job. Got to meet a lot of people. So I went that path, got my EMT license and all that stuff while I was in college. And fortunately, my father, who was paying for my college education, he said, I don't care what you do after college, you're still going to finish college. So I did that. But got my EMT license while I was up there and then got married while I was in college to my wonderful wife, Allie. She's a nurse. And so we got the firefighter paramedic nurse thing going that so many other firefighter nurses have going on too. But got out of college, started as an EMT and a paramedic for St. Louis City Fire Department on the EMS side for three years. Got ran into the ground for three years straight. 12-hour shifts would run 15 calls a day sometimes. And you know how that goes, just constant turnaround with EMS. And then after three years of that, I got hired out in St. Louis County in Metro West Fire Protection District, where I've been for the last 15 plus years. The last eight years of that have been as an officer, four years as a lieutenant and coming up on four years as a captain now. So loving that, love having my own crew, love this small unit team environment that I get to basically create and foster within my own, the confines of my station. And so I love that. And honestly, I don't know if I could ever see myself becoming a Italian chief or anything higher than that, because I just love the small unit leadership element that having your own crew really affords me to have. So that in a nutshell is my fire service journey. Been in the fire service 15 years and three years of EMS before that. Yeah, this is definitely a sweet spot, isn't it? That captain officer. I love it. Even the battalion chief is still a pretty sweet spot, but yeah, 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 I would agree. And I want to go back to your comment about your dad not bringing home work. Do you find that? <laughs> Do you bring home yes. work or how does that uh, work? So yeah, that's an interesting tangent we could go down, which before I was an officer, I would not bring home work. As I started to get into becoming a company officer, you start bringing home more work because there's greater responsibility. You have greater responsibility of your crew, of your station, of your guys and gals. And so there is more that you do have to do off duty, whether that's checking in with them, whether that is making sure they know what's coming up or a responsibility or a task that they need to complete before the next tour or rotation. So there is that. But then for some reason, I started writing books and I started teaching and I started doing all these things with firefighter functional fitness and firefighter success and which were great things. It's great to share what you're passionate about and doing it in a way that's well received by others. So those things I really dove into starting in 2015. Gosh, that was eight years, eight years ago. I can't believe that. So I started doing those things, which were great things. Started pouring a lot of my off-duty time into those things. So yes, I was bringing quote unquote, my work home with me. It wasn't my work, but it was my side work, if you will, but it was good to do those things. But now it's coming back full circle as we talked offline about, right? I am in the stage of my life now to where I am working on unhurrying and slowing down and simplifying, which is good. I think we, we all go through these ebbs and flows, these cycles, hills and valleys, whatever you want to call them. We, we go through these seasons of our life to where we push hard and we work hard for certain things and certain things that we're passionate about. And we should do that, but we should, we also need time to have introspection and time to come back to really think about what we're doing reevaluate what our priorities are. And for me, my faith is incredibly important. My family is incredibly important. Yes, the fire service is important. Yes, all that fitness stuff and firefighter success, personal leadership, that's all important. But the, my two biggest priorities in my life are my faith and my family, bar none. And so it was good to step back within the last couple months, beginning in the start of 2023. And this kind of started last year too, to really reevaluate and take some time and slow down and not try and go 110 miles per hour and try and divide my attention so much amongst so many things. And in doing that, it's just been such a huge blessing and such a huge benefit to not only my emotional and mental well-being, but that of my family, my marriage, my time with my kids. And I think it's also allowed me at work to dedicate myself more when I'm at work to my crew and to what we're doing. It, the Some might say, oh, I can't slow down. I got to do this, all this different stuff. But I think sometimes we're doing too much and we're trying to multitask and we have our hands and our feet and everything and we're not being efficient with it all. We're not really 
dedicating ourselves, what we should to those different tasks or priorities. And so they're not really getting done to the best of our abilities. And sometimes we just need to take a step back, take a deep breath and really rededicate ourselves to the important things in our life. And then our priorities are going to work out from there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's definitely something I've learned over the last couple of years as well. And right. I truly feel that we're not present most of the time. Mm -hmm. Being present in the moment is such a superpower. So if you can actually be present with your family because you've taken time off, you're not going 110 miles an hour, yeah. you're actually going to have a stronger relationship with your wife, yeah. your husband, whatever that looks like. You're going to be a better officer when you go on shift because you actually had time to recharge. And mm -hmm. I think it's beautiful that people start to think like that. Yeah. That's how we're going to succeed for sure. And I've definitely had to say no to a lot more things. So off-duty things, maybe work requirements, different things I'm a part of that would have required me to come in or do them off duty or whatever. I've, I've just said no. And my battalion chief knows about my process of simplifying and unhurrying. And so he respects, like when I say no, it's not a required meeting if it's off duty for me, but he knows where I'm at right now. And he respects that. He might give me a little hard, hard uh, problem <laughs> if I'm not doing something, but he knows and respects what I'm trying to accomplish and achieve. And it's funny because he's used to me being the hard charger so much of my career. He's known me since I've been at Metro West and it's, I'm sure refreshing for him to see this change in me. And it's refreshing for me to see in myself. I think I even wrote in my book somewhere, be the kind of firefighter that people have to say, stop working so hard. You're making the rest of us look bad. <laughs> I think I remember writing that, which there's good to that, but that there's also something to that, to where it says you don't have to work so hard all the time. It's yeah. good to be passionate about this job. And I love seeing the big four behind you in your background from Mark Von Oppen. And it's good to be all in. It's good to have that all out effort, but know when to say no. No, sometimes you gotta say no to the good to say yes to the great, right? Totally. So make sure you know when that time is to say no and to reevaluate your priorities. And I love what you said, be present. And that's the thing is be present with your family. And when you're at work, be present at work. No is a complete sentence. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, that period. Is, that's no it. is a complete sentence. Yeah, You that's don't it. have to have excuses or why or answers. No is yeah. a complete sentence. Yeah. So what was it that you saw in yourself that you needed to slow down and take this kind of new mindset? One of them was just trying to be more present, just realizing that I was too distracted from too many things, whether that was being at home with family or whether that was at work, being at work and just trying to do too much too often. So being present was a big one. I remember recording and you're in the thick of a lot of podcasting right now, but the firefighter success podcast, I think it's up to about 75 episodes right now, which is great. I'm blessed that people enjoy it and love listening to it. I enjoy recording and having great guests like you on there, but I was recording one, sometimes two podcasts a week. And the effort that is required to, to do a podcast, not only the time that we're recording right now, but setting it up, scheduling, editing, think about questions, all those different things, right? And conservative estimate for each guest is maybe 10 hours or whatever of all said and done. If you're doing that one to two times a week, and I was doing that. And so I was, that's what I was averaging is at least one episode a week. And so that was a huge thing that to where I was like last March in 2022, FDIC was coming up, which I'm blessed to be able to teach at FDIC for the past seven years, but FDIC was coming up and then I just was, you know what? I'm put, I'm hitting the pause button on this podcast. I love doing it, but I am going to hit the pause button and I didn't record a podcast for six months. I enjoyed summer family time to the max with my family. Didn't even think about recording a podcast. I said, when I want to pick it back up, I'm going to pick it back up. And I think that's good for things to make sure that, yes, I loved recording the podcast and I still do them. I think it's good to be able to walk away for a bit, to reevaluate and know that you don't have to do that. It doesn't need to be an idol in your life. It doesn't need to be something to where I have to do this. And so being able to step away from it and not being like having the, you know, uh, a dopamine hit or the addiction to where you're like, I have to do this. That's a good feeling to know that you can walk away from something for six months or whatever. And then when you come back and you're ready to do it again, and it's not a big deal to, to leave that alone. And what I try to do is when I stopped recording so many podcasts, one of the things I didn't want to just fill up that time with 
other stuff to make me busy for bi- being busy safe. I wanted to fill it back up with important things like family and like really concentrating that summertime with my family. Cause my kids, as we all heard before, your kids are only young once. You're not going to get that opportunity to raise your kid twice. You're only going to get to raise them once. And the memories you make with your kids, my kids are now 13, 11, and soon to be six. And so they're in that age to where before long, they're going to be out of the house, especially my 13 year old only has five years. She's 13 going on 21, if you ask her, but they're only young once. And so I want to make sure that time that I have with them is special. And so that they remember that and we make memories. The point being is if you're going to give something up to reevaluate your priorities and make sure that you're living out what you say is important, make sure you actually do that. And you don't fill it up with other busy work or busy time just to distract yourself. Make sure you're focusing on what's really important in life. That kind of makes me think of a coaching conversation that I have quite often. When they want to do something new, they have to say no to something. So I want to take on this new course. I want to do this new program. What are you going to say no to? Yeah. You can't just keep piling it on. Yep. Yep. Excellent. So I know your book, one of your books is about firefighter success in your company about that. And I think that's your leadership style is going out there and delivering that message. What's changed for the definition of success for you over the last, say, 10 years? What's changed? Has it changed or has it always been the same definition? To me, and I love asking that question of other people on the podcast (laughs) and because it puts them on the hot seat and it really makes them think about what's important, right? And what's mark you want to leave in the fire service and in your personal life, right? Your life outside, outside of the fire service. And so for me, what success is truly making an impact in being a person of value to others, right? That is success to me and making sure that you're serving others, making sure that you're making other people's lives better because you're in it, right? You're being the encourager. You're being the one that people want to be around because of your positive attitude. And if we're talking specifically about the fire service, we hear that the saying, leave it better than you found it, making a positive impact on others, on your fire department, on the fire service as a whole, more so than when you arrived. And we've had so many leaders, mentors, coaches pour into us and get us where we are and where we've become. And so we need to make sure we need to do that for the next generation. I say, I start my book by saying, make sure that you're coachable. That's your, that's the number one thing you can ever do to ensure your success is make sure you're humble, teachable, and coachable. If you can do those things, then everything else tied to your success will work itself out. And then lastly, I said, if you want to be truly successful, you have to be that coach to others, right? You have to be that mentor who teaches others and shows them the way. That's like the full evolution and the success cycle, if you will, is making sure that we are coaching and we are mentoring others and passing on what others have passed on to us, that we also pass on the, from the mistakes we've learned, things that we've learned from our experience and our knowledge. We make sure that we pour into others what all, everything that we have learned. So I don't know if my definition of success has necessarily changed because those values you know, or those goals, I should say, that I broadly paint those brushstrokes on success of being a person of value, making sure that you're impacting other people. I think that remains consistent over the last 10 years. And I think that those things are applicable both to the fire service, but they're also applicable to my personal life and my family as well. And I want to be a person of service and a person of impact and leadership to those in my family, but also to those in the fire service and my crew and my fire department. So you talked to, once again, you talked about the going back and slowing down. Is there anything you'd add to success by that new mindset of slowing down? I would say that always make sure that you know what your priorities are, right? And not only knowing what they are, but make sure you're actually living them out and make sure you take time to evaluate and reevaluate what you're actually doing to live out your own success. Like I said, you're only going to get a chance once to raise your kids. You're only going to get a chance once to be married to your spouse. Well, sometimes I guess people get remarried to their same spouse and they work it out the second time, but you get what I'm saying, right? you you have these opportunities in front of you and no, we're never going to be perfect, but make sure that you are living out your core values, you're living out your mission, whether that's a personal mission statement or a professional mission statement for yourself. Make sure you're actually taking time to take a step back, take a deep breath, 
and evaluate how you are living out those core values, your personal mission statement. And am I, ask yourself, am I on the pathway to what I define as success? If I achieve all these things, if I teach all these different places, I write all these books, but my life, my personal life, my marriage, my fatherhood, my kids are in shambles. Is any of all that professional stuff worth it? No, not by any means. It's not worth it at all. Make sure that you're, like I've said before, you're, you have your priorities of faith, family, and then the fire service after that is, is most important. Very nice. You talked about being humble as a characteristic of a good leader or where to start from. How would you define being humble? What does that mean to you? Oh, how much time do you have? I love the saying, there's two types of people, those who are humbled and those who are about to be humbled, right? And humility is making sure you're teachable, making sure you're coachable, being able to admit when you're wrong, being able to learn from your mistakes, being able to receive coaching and discipline from others when you need it, and making sure it's not only from people that you greatly respect, like mentors and stuff like that, but receiving it from people maybe who you don't re expect it from or maybe even want it from. And so I think criticism has value from all different types of people. Maybe even your bit, biggest critics, they might also be speaking some truth into your life. You have to filter everything out, that's for sure. But making sure that you're the kind of person that says, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know everything. And that's especially in the fire service as a teammate. And if we're in the fire service, you better believe you're not a lone wolf. You're not the lone ranger. You are part of a team and you are part of a whole. And it's not all about you. It's about the team. So figuring out how you can be the best person of value, how you can make the big, greatest impact to those on your team. Um, I think that's kind of humility in a nutshell, if I could give the two minute definition of it. It's such an important word, topic, trait to own. That is to me, all the great leaders that I've ever witnessed and worked under or worked with. Yeah. Humility, definitely high, uh, high up there. Yeah. And it's really like you, you could see someone at the highest level of whatever field or profession they're in. And if they don't have humility, you can tell right away. But if they have this true humility and this eagerness to help other people, it, they're like magnets. Everyone wants to be, be around them and people are just naturally attracted to them. I think about people like Jason Hovelman. I think about people like Mark Von Oppen, Frank Fiskew, Bobby Halton, all these different people who are just naturally humble and so great at what they do. And you're like, yes, I want to be around you. I want to learn from you. That's hopefully as I go through my, throughout my fire service career, hopefully I embody like a 1% of what these great mentors and leaders, what they have, so I can be that for others, not for my own vanity or my own glory, but, but for, to be able to help others in the way that they've helped me. I know you as a lifelong learner and very passionate person, you're already doing that guaranteed. guaranteed. I'm trying my best. <laughs> so talking about leadership, I'd love to hear some good leadership examples you've seen in the past and maybe some bad ones, and maybe we'll lead with the bad ones first and what you've learned from some bad leadership through your career. Yeah. Yeah. So bad leadership examples. That's a great question. What not to do. I think those are the leaders who lack humility have, as we just talked about humility, it's, it's those who are all about themselves. They're selfish. They're there for their own vanity. They're the type of leader that doesn't want to teach, doesn't want to coach. They are in, I, I use that word leader very loosely, if that's the type of person it is, if they embody all these characteristics. And so there's someone who is scared or fearful for those who are under their quote unquote leadership to do well and succeed. A true leader will want to see those under their leadership succeed and hopefully surpass their own level of leadership, accolades or skills, knowledge, abilities, whatever it is. And that leader that is all about themselves will may, and I've seen it before, I've, I've experienced it before, may lash out, may yell at you, may bark at you um, for something that you've done, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. And I don't think a leader ever really has to truly raise their voice and especially not shout in anger. There's times when we can be all be angry for sure. But I think the true 
leaders, they're able to be humble. They're able to process emotions and frustrations, and they're able to exude, to be the calm during the chaos. They're able to have that, that confidence, silent confidence that they don't have to project themselves in a way to where they're losing control. And so that's what I've seen of unsuccessful leaders is those who lack self-control. Those are not, who are not the example to others. And we've seen that in plenty of people who preach a good message, right? But they don't live it out in their own leadership. So, you know, the good leaders, they, they live out the example that they preached. They are, and that's integrity right there, right? right. You do what you say you're going to do. That's integrity and you do the right thing. When people are looking, when people are not looking, that's the kind of leader that people want to follow. Uh, hopefully that wraps up in a nutshell, all the negative things that, that non-leaders or bad leaders do. And I'd say for good leaders, it's always, it's the opposite, the opposite. That, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's the yeah. exact opposite. So it's starting off with humility, leading by example, being a person of character, of integrity, being someone who's a coach, wanting to always help others and see others succeed. I remember when I was going for promotions with my fellow lieutenant candidates, captains candidates, I remember going through the testing processes with those guys. And I remember my first time testing as a lieutenant. It was a good learning experience. I did not get promoted right away, but I remember those who did. And I remember sending text messages and saying congratulations to them because it's good that they succeeded and they beat me in the process, fair and square, right? Yep. And so I was happy to see them succeed. Same thing when I was a lieutenant going for captain and made sure that I sent my congratulations on to those who were successful before me. And now I, as a captain, and like I've said before, I'm not really looking forward to go to anytime soon battalion <laughs> chief or anything like that. But now that I'm a captain and I see those under me succeeding and getting promoted to lieutenant to captain or whatever. I make sure to, I reach out to them. Hey, congrats. They're not my competition, right? But still, I want to see other people succeed. And I think that's what successful people really do is that when they see other people succeeding and succeeding for the right reasons, you're in the background clapping for them. You're the one who's their biggest cheerleader because what do I have to lose by applauding for them, for congratulating them, forging them? I have nothing to lose. I have only things they only gain from it and I only gain from it. So hopefully... I'm endearing myself to them. I'm building rapport with them. And hopefully those who are listening, they take that, that nugget that people have taught to me and they're the encourager. They're the ones who are lifting other people up. And I think that's just naturally a true part of everyone's success. If you're truly successful, it's just seeing other people when they succeed, be their cheerleader, be the one who's applauding them. Yeah. It's so good. You said that because my whole career, that's how I that's how I operated for sure. But now in my coaching kind of world, that's yeah. my job as well. My job is yeah. to coach and support and be their biggest cheerleader, right? Yeah. It's interesting yeah. that it's full circle once again to yeah. my next career, right? Yeah. And the same thing outside of work too, right? Outside of the fire services is beat your child's, your spouse's or whoever, be their biggest cheerleader, right? Everybody loves an encourager. Everybody loves someone who is rooting for them. Everybody needs someone in their corner. And so make sure that small little thing that even though people are quote unquote doing their job that they're supposed to be doing, make sure you still say thank you. Make sure you still recognize them for those small things that they're doing. My wife planned and cooked dinner last night. Something as small as that. Make sure you're not only telling them thank you and thank you for planning it. Thank you for making dinner. Thank you for doing that. Make sure you do it in front of your children, right? Yep. So they see that example and they start to live out that example. And hopefully that just naturally becomes part of their character and their actions is to thank their mother oh, for totally. preparing that meal. Yeah, great example. Yeah, it, ma it makes me think about the classic CEO success is thanking the janitor, thanking the yeah. the people who are working in the, the lowest yeah. entry level jobs. Thanking them just as much as you're thanking your vice president. So, yep. And we all have a role to play. And I love the analogy. And I'm sure we've heard it time and time again is that in the fire service, we're a team. We already established that. We already talked about that. But I love the analogy and comparison of, of a football team, American football, to where it's you might see the quarterback as quote unquote the leader of the team or the play caller or whatever. You might have someone who is tied in the linebacker, the wide receiver, offensive line, all these different roles and responsibilities. But I love that it, that in the fire service, it's the same way. We have all these different roles and responsibilities. 
in our own specialties. And I love that we all get to live them out and play them out. And one is really not more important than the other. As long as you're doing your role and focusing on that role, the team is going to be successful. And so if you go into that role and mindset with humility, like we've already talked about, if you go into that with whatever position is your position and you do it to the best of your abilities with humility, I think the team is going to be successful, whether it's a football team or whether it's your, your crew, your yep. company. Like to dig in a little deeper, you talked about emotions and controlling your emotions. So good and bad. So good leadership was controlling and bad was letting it all let loose. How do you control your emotions or what do you use to process your emotions when you feel them? Topic um, that we don't talk about very often, especially yeah. in fire service emotions. Yeah. But as humans, we have emotions. That's natural. For sure. And I think it depends on the emotion. Let's just start with what I already talked about, like frustration, anger. I think it's, I, as I said, my faith is important to me. And I subscribe to what the Bible says about anger. Don't be quick to anger. Don't say the first thing that comes out of your mouth. I saw a funny skit the other day on social media it says, if you want to be a successful husband, don't say the first thing that pops into your mouth. <laughs> don't say the second thing that pops in, into your head and make sure it's the third thing. But anyway, I yeah. think when it comes to anger and frustration, there's going to always be something that frustrates us, makes us angry, whether it's within our crew or it's administration wise, or it's the fire department as a whole, or it's a call you run or a frequent flyer or whatever you want to call it. I think there's always going to be something that frustrates us, but we need to take a moment and really have, take a step back and think about and have the right perspective of what does this really mean in the whole scheme of things, right? Is this just like a little temporary thing that is inconveniencing me? Or is this a bigger issue that needs to be addressed? Can I just let it pass and it's not a big deal? Or is it something that I need to process? And no, notice I said process. I, I didn't say, say the first bad thought that comes to my mind and complain and gossip about it in front of my crew, right? Is this something I need to process and deal with later? And if it's an employee issue of someone on your crew, how serious is the issue or what, if they did something wrong, is it something that needs to be addressed right away? How am I going to address that? Am I going to shout at them? Am I going to berate them? Am I going to make them feel small? What's that going to accomplish? It's not going to accomplish anything. If I take my time, think about it and think about what I'm going to say to that individual and I try and get their side of the story of why they did what they did. And maybe they have a good explanation that I wasn't thinking about. So there's that perspective of making sure you understand of what someone else is going through. Maybe they have a lot of family issues at home, right? And maybe they have stuff outside of work that they're dealing with that you had no idea about. And so they're acting a certain way at work. So I think the biggest part is just trying to understand other individuals and where they're coming from and why they act the way they do or and making sure that we're not quick to anger, we're not quick to respond, but we take time to process. I remember one of my captains when I was a brand new lieutenant, Captain Barger, he always, if it was a non-urgent issue, he always took the time to really think about it. And, you know, we're in the fire service and we have smartphones and we're always used to this instant reply, instant kind of gratification thing. We always want an instant response. If someone hasn't texted me back or emailed me back within 30 seconds, it's, oh my gosh, you know, what's their problem? But he's someone who always took the time to process an issue. If he didn't have an answer for you right away, he said, let me think about it. And I think that's good. I think we need that as leaders, as company officers, chief officers, is whether it's an, an issue that brings about the emotion of frustration or anger, let's think about it. Take the time to think about it and don't lash out right away. Or if it's an issue that needs to be resolved, take the time to think about it and resolve it later. Now, if it's an issue to where, let's just say a motion of like maybe sadness or you run a call to where it's, it's something that brings about that emotional issue. I think one of the best things that's helped me with that is making sure I rely on my faith. I have the right perspective through my faith, but also I process it with my crew verbally. We might make jokes about the situation. And yes, we all know within the fire service, we have dark humor. And that's one of the ways we cope with things around the kitchen table and in, in the fire truck. But also if it's a bad call and I can tell where it impacted my crews, one of the easiest things to just say to break the ice on the way back in the fire truck or back at the station is that call sucked. That was a bad call. And just, just by saying that, acknowledging that 
I think it helps other people to be like, yeah, it did. And they might say, yeah, I ran a call like that and this, and you know, and so it starts getting the conversation going instead of us all internalizing those emotions that we have. I'm not a trained counselor or anything like that, but I think there is power in and benefits of us as a crew processing those calls as like a mini CISD and, or just like a little debriefing, right? We're debriefing about the situation. We're talking about it instead of internalizing it instead of isolating ourselves from each other and isolating our emotions. Another way is just like telling my wife, I don't tell my wife the specifics about a call, but I might say, Hey, we ran a really bad call. Could you pray for me? Could you pray for our crew? And she knows that I probably won't tell her about it just because I want to spare her of the details. She doesn't need to know the details of the really bad, but you know, just reaching out to a spouse or someone else that you trust to say, Hey, pray for me. Think about me, think about our crew and make sure that you're not internalizing that you're verbalizing it and that you're sharing that you're going through something. I think is the biggest thing. And I'm sure I read in your book, what you already shared is us especially males within the fire service, especially the alpha males within us, we try and be self-reliant. We try and do it all ourselves and we try to take care of ourselves and to show any type of emotion is weakness, which it couldn't be further from the truth, right? We all know that now, but to making sure that we are sharing, we're not isolating and that if we need help, we reach out and ask someone for help. So I think me personally, that's how I've processed right. frustration, anger, but also those emotions that come from the bad calls. Yeah. I think it's a perfect way to frame it and lead your crew. Just bring up the topic. And when the leader, the captain says that was a crappy call, yeah. it gives them freedom and space to say, yeah, that was, and I'm feeling crappy tomorrow, the next day Yeah, uh, from that. Yeah. Yeah. And letting them vent. Yeah. Sometimes you need to vent yeah. and letting them vent freely without judgment. And maybe they might be going off the rails and down a path to where you're like, oh, okay. I didn't know it was going to be this far. And they might start complaining about something else, not related to it that mm -hmm. has been deep seated. But I think there's a lot of power and benefit to letting someone vent Un unobstructed, just letting them, them speak their mind without trying to censor them in any way, but letting them vent what's on their mind and on their heart. Yeah. You know, the word that comes up for me is judgment without judgment. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Talking about your 20 C's in your book, firefighter success, what would be your top three C's that I want to share with the audience today? Top three. Yeah. Yeah. Top three. Number one, we mentioned it being coachable. That's why I started the book with that is being coachable, being humble, being teachable. And like I said, that is the launching point for everything else tied to your success. I think also I have a chapter on being competent. I think all of us as firefighters, it is a skill-based job. And so we have to be competent in our skills. We have to be competent in our knowledge, especially as officers, if we're leading a crew into ideal age environments, we have to be competent in our knowledge. And then number three, ooh, it's a toss up. <laughs> There's so many, I would have to say confidence, especially as a leader, you have to have confidence and making sure that doesn't become ego. It doesn't become vanity or pride, but it's confidence. And like we've already talked about on this conversation, the true confident leader without ego wants to see their crew succeed, wants to see others succeed. And so I think that's always the challenge is making sure you're confident without having ego. But if you're wanting to see others succeed, you're going to have the right kind of confidence. Beautiful. Yeah. It was just recently I heard that confidence was something I was challenged with in the last few years. I actually had really good confidence through my whole career, but when I started to feel the effects of trauma and burnout, I mysteriously overnight became less confident in myself. Mm -hmm. yeah. I didn't show it from what people have said, but I felt uh, it daily that yeah. I was, and that's part of burnout and stress overload. It's yeah. interesting how I, I missed that for years, even writing the book, I missed that as a component, but in the last few months I've noticed that, ah, that was a big part of my own self negative talk as well, because every mm. time you're not as confident, yeah, you, uh, you don't deserve this. You shouldn't be there. What mm. all goes to sorts of negative talk, right? Yeah. What helps you grow or get back that confidence that you suddenly found that you, that depreciated, if you will. Yeah. I would say the biggest thing for me is letting go of all, it's not that I don't care. I care about certain things and I don't care about mm -hmm. certain things now. Yeah. So that has made freedom in my own self to be my own confident self versus what somebody else thinks I should be. Yeah. What someone else you think perceiving someone else yeah, might yeah. think about you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 
Yep. So it's my own confidence and it can be a hundred percent because that's my own. Yeah, that's good. I'd like to go back to now that you're a captain on the team there. How are you building trust within your platoon or within your engine crew? Any tips for our listeners on building trust? Because I think yeah. that's pretty foundational. Yeah, I think it kind of, it goes back to what we talked about with what is a successful leader? What is a true leader? And comes out to the integrity, the character, leading by example and everything. And, and my, for, my previous crew members on different uh, crews that I've had at Metro West have wrote in my evaluation. I remember this statement sticking out and they said, he's not going to ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. And so that's a mindset. You're always going to see me helping with station chores. I'm always cooking one of the meals, one of the dinners, we do a 48. So one of the two days. And so making sure that I am there, I'm visible, I'm seen, I'm spending time with my crew. And I think that's the biggest thing to building trust is making sure you're spending time with your people, right? If you're in an office, if you're always gone and yes, we as officers have extra responsibilities, we have extra things we have to do, managerial things. Yes. But making sure that you're present, you're with your crew and everybody knows it's kind of part of my crew's culture that we are going to eat breakfast both days together. We're going to eat dinner both days together. And so I think that's the biggest thing for trust is spending time together, talking about life, talking about things within the fire department, talking about calls, making sure your face, your head isn't always in your phone, buried in your phone. And I'm going to take a line from what you've already said is being present, being in the moment and making sure you're making those moments count with your crew members. And I think a big part of building trust is communication. I'm a high level communicator. Maybe I over communicate about certain things, whether it's via text message, via email, but I make sure that I communicate because where there is a breakdown in communication or a lack of communication, there's going to be a lack of trust, right? And when there's a lack of trust, there's a lack of communication. And those two go, it's a yin and yang. It goes back and forth with those two in my mindset. And if you don't have trust, you don't have communication, you're not going to have respect. And so it's like a triangle, if you will, trust, yeah, communication, yeah. respect, all go hand in hand together. And if you don't have those at the crew or company level, you're not going to have a very good team. So communication is a big one for me when it comes to building trust. And just, if you say you're going to do something, follow through with what you're going to do. If you say we're going to train on this or that next rotation, do that. If you say you're going to do whatever, something for your crew, make sure you follow through with that, whatever that thing is, whether it's big or small. Love it. So now, once again, back to being an officer on your new team, what, or have you experienced firefighter burnout and have you noticed it in other people and what's some of the triggers for you to notice firefighter burnout, stress, maybe even just life stress on their plate? Yeah. What are some of the key indicators you have as an officer now to look out for your crew outside of the trauma calls and the fire stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing is like so many of us within the fire service think that it's the calls that is going to cause the burnout when in reality it's the calls plus the family personal issues or whatever issues we have outside of work that we bring into work. And it's that culmination of things. Are we going through a tough marriage? Are we having a trouble at home with one of our kids or are we dealing with one of our parents having to take care of them? So all these different things outside of work lead into the trauma, the burnout that we experience on the job and it manifests itself on the job. And I think the number one indicator that I've seen, or maybe two that I've seen with people in my fire department is number one, they're not acting the way that they used to act. There's been some type of change within them in the way they act, the way they carry themselves, even the way they walk the way they look. For me, that's been a big one. And then number two, that they tend to isolate themselves. That's the other thing. And you might hear someone else, if I had to add a third thing, they're just constantly complaining, right? They're always having that negative mindset and nothing's going right. Even the smallest issue will cause them to go into this down, downward spiral of, of complaining about this or that when it w might be the most meaningless issue that you perceive it to be. So that's the biggest thing, the three biggest things I've seen, the, uh, you know, change in, in affect or the way they look, the way they act, isolating themselves, and then just constant complaining are three different things I've seen. Yeah. Those are great examples. You mentioned communication is a big thing for you. So how would you communicate? What language would you use to approach somebody who you noticed has changed over the last, because I think a lot of people just ignore it. 
Yeah. Turn a blind eye. Hopefully it'll go away on its own. But I think as leaders, our job should be to intervene and support our firefighters. Oh, exactly. So that, what kind that, of language would you use to, to approach that person? That's exactly our job as leaders is to intervene with these individuals. Because think about it, if you were in that position, you would want someone else to reach out to you to help you. And so I think the biggest thing is to be honest, right? The worst thing we could do is pretend it's not there or to use fluffy language or whatever. Be the leader, be the friend, be the person, the coworker that's going to be there with them and show up. If that means just you being there and just sitting with them and being present with them and where they're at, maybe that's all they need on all they want. Or you might have to use straightforward, more straightforward, honest language with them of, hey, I've noticed that you're not the same person you were six months ago. I noticed that you're in your room, separated, isolated from everybody else, and that's not you. And have that genuine conversation of what's going on, what's wrong. I might not have all the answers, but I'm here to listen. You want to share? I'm here to listen. And I think you ask the honest questions. Uh, try and get to what it is. Are you having marriage problems? Are you having problems at home? Are you, are you using drugs? Are you abusing alcohol? Do you want to kill yourself? I think you have to ask these questions that are very direct because sometimes you need to ask those questions for to allow someone the freedom to say yes. I am dealing with this. Yes, I am abusing this or that. I think. When you actually come forward and you're like, okay, I'm going to lay it all on the table and I'm going to, and it's not confronting, it's more so showing that you care in a very respectful and sincere manner. I think when we approach the situation like that and we show that we earnestly care, I think people are going to respond to that. Love it. I think that's the bottom line is caring for people, right? Yeah. Showing some empathy, even if it's a difficult subject. If you're showing some empathy, showing that you care for them, they will open yeah. up to you. Yeah. yeah. And maybe you mention a story or talk about what you've personally gone through mm -hmm. that they could empathize with that so that they can elicit that or you get that out of them. Hopefully that helps them. So I think, like great. you said, I think there's great power in empathy on both sides. Beautiful. You've mentioned it several times, the four Fs. I'd like to dig in that a little deeper because I think that may be a new term for some people, maybe not. So is there a priority in the four Fs? Yes. Yes. Maybe just go into some detail of what that four Fs is to you personally. Yes. Yeah. So the four Fs for me are, it starts with faith. That's my highest priority for me personally. And secondly is family. Third is firefighting. Fourth is fitness. And so I think those are important for all firefighters. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to say what faith someone else has to have, but my main point is that. You have to have things that are more important than the fire service and take higher priority than the fire service because our time in the fire service is temporary. And the fire service is going to throw a lot of different things at you and you're going to experience a lot of different things within the fire service. So you have to have a foundation that is more important and greater than the fire service. And so for me, that's why my faith is the most important thing. It's more important than my family because the way I lead my family and interact with my family and how I love my family is built on my faith, right? And so if I don't have that first F, that first, the faith in place, then everything's going to go downhill for me within my family, within my career as a firefighter. And then obviously if I'm not taking care of myself spiritually, I'm not going to be able to take care of myself emotionally, mentally, physically after that. But yeah, there's definitely a hierarchy there for me when it comes to faith, a family, firefighting, and fitness. What's your definition of faith versus spirituality? Is there a difference there? Is it the same in your opinion? Or? So, so me and straight out, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. And so I follow what, you know, the Bible says and then what scripture says. Um, and so spirituality, that's different to every person. So when I say faith, that's what I'm referring to. Okay. And so to me, my faith is greater than just going to, it's greater than just a Sunday service every weekend or something like that. It's something that for me is all encompassing in everything that I do. And like I said, how I lead my family, how I carry myself at work and the overflow of my heart and my mind. That's what comes out with my family. That's what comes out at work. That comes out, what comes out with my interactions with others and with my coworkers at work as well. It's, that's a podcast all within itself, I think, <laughs> is what is faith and what is spirituality? Because I think 
when it comes to faith, I think we all have faith in something, right? We all have faith in, even if you're an atheist, I think you have faith in the fact that you believe there is no God. Right. Uh, or you might have faith strictly science or this or that, right? So I think it's interesting when we talk about faith, and I mentioned clearly what my faith is in. I think we all have faith in something, right? And my point being with the four Fs is that you have to have faith in something greater. And you have to have a foundation greater than just the fire service because right. yeah, you. I think in, you've seen this within yourself, other people around you, I should say. You've seen when the fire service is their everything, and when the fire service is pulled away from them or something doesn't go right for them within the fire service, they're crushed. And so they don't have that right perspective. They don't have the right priorities to fall back on when things aren't going right in the fire service and in life in general. Make sure that there's something greater, more important than just the fire service in your life. Yeah, at a real micro level, that could be hobbies, something other than the fire service, right? Mm -hmm. I know for myself, I was living and breathing fire. And yeah. I didn't think of anything other than fire. Sure, my right. family was number one, but was I treating them number one? Maybe not. Not right. all the time. So yeah, even going down to hobbies, like I used to fly fish all the time, photography, dropped all that when I became invested in the fire service. Yeah. That's not a healthy way to, to live because you, like you yeah. said, it's a very short time that we're doing yeah. the fire service, really. Yep. And uh, there's going to be times when we invest more in our family over the fire service. And like, and there's going to be times when we invest more in the fire service than our family is making sure that if we're measuring these weights, make sure the family always comes out on top over the fire okay. service. You had challenges with balancing that work-life relationship with yourself or? Oh yeah, I definitely have. And I think that's why I'm in the season that I'm in right, right. now with slowing down and nice. unhurrying. Just, it comes back to, like I said, reevaluating and getting the right perspective of what's truly important in life and being present, as you said, being present with your family in the situation where you're at in that moment, making sure those moments count. God bless my wife who has put up with me through writing these two books, through doing all the speaking engagements, doing all the podcasting. I can't thank her enough for what she's done and how she's supported me all through that. And now that I've started slowing down and unhurrying, and maybe this is just a season in my life and maybe I'll start doing the podcasting more and all those different things that I was doing. If I go back to it, I don't think I'll go back at the same level I was at before, but I think it's good to have this moment of slowing down and unhurrying. So when I go back, to those things in a greater frequency, if you will, that I go back with the right perspective moving forward. And I think it's good to make sure that I share my gratitude with her for how she is, she has supported me in all these different things. But uh, yeah, without a doubt, going back to your question, yeah, I've invested myself heavily and maybe sometimes too much in these things that we've talked about. And, but it, sometimes you have to do that to do, see what's really important sometimes, right? Yeah. You have to learn from your mistakes or, or things that you've overtaxed yourself or overspent your time doing. Sometimes you have to do those things and make your own mistakes in that way to have the right perspective moving forward after that. Well, isn't that the definition of learning? Yeah. Amen. Like trying something, having it to go wrong maybe, or go and learning yeah. from it and, and adapting and getting bigger and better. And yeah, each time. Yeah. Right? So doing it in the improved 2.0 version. Exactly. Yeah. So I'd love to finish off because I know you're a big into fitness, nutrition. You wrote a book about it, which firefighter functional fitness and Dan Kerrigan also co-wrote that with you. That's right. I'd love to hear maybe a couple of real nuggets not necessarily from the book, but that firefighters can go away with some nutrition, maybe some sleep stuff. I think yeah. these are all key things that I keep hearing first spotters mostly talk about is sleep, hydration, nutrition. Any nuggets to share with their listeners? Yeah, yeah. In a nutshell, I'll break down. So we have four pillars in the book. Most of the book that we dedicate, like two-thirds of the book, I'd say that is what we dedicate to physical fitness. But the other two, three, four pillars that we have on there. Number two is rest and recovery. Number three is hydration. Number four is nutrition. And those three things, including physical fitness, but those three things definitely play a large role in our holistic, our, our whole well-being when it comes to not only physical, but especially mental and emotional well-being, that rest and recovery. And so, yes, we need to work out. We need to do all those things, but we need to make sure that we're putting the right fuels in our body, whether that's the right calories in food or the right beverages, water. We all need to drink more water. I think you know that. But rest and recovery is making sure 
not only resting and recovering from workouts, but resting and recovering from our shifts, right? And making sure that we get the amount of sleep. I couldn't tell you that the benefit, and I know you can preach this to the mountaintops, right? The, that sleep is just so incredibly important to us as firefighters. I know we can't always get the best sleep when we're on duty, but when you're off duty, set yourself up for success when it comes to sleep. Make sure that you're attempting, I say attempting, to get those eight hours of sleep every night. What does that mean for you? That's up to you. But me, in this process of slowing and unhurrying and trying to minimize my distractions, I don't sleep with my phone at my bedside anymore. I sleep with it outside. It's downstairs in, in our kitchen getting charged overnight. I Believe it or not, I have a digital alarm clock at my bedside. Old school, I know. And because what was the habit for me is, yeah, I love it. You got one too. But what was the habit for me is that you'd wake up in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., maybe 3.30, whatever it is, and you just look at your phone. Oh, I've got a text message. I've got a notification. And then you start going down that, that pathway of looking at your phone, which we all know the kind of light that our phone emits or any type of screen emits is not good for us when it comes to sleeping. So that was one of the biggest things I did for myself. I recommend other firefighters do is not sleep with your phone at your bedside as much as possible. And then the other things that we've talked about before is sleeping in a dark room, sleeping in a cool room and making sure that you minimize all other distractions when it comes to sleep that would distract you. Whether that means stopping looking at your phone an hour before you go to bedtime, that's also a good thing. Reading before bed is good. Having that natural, if you want to read, try not to do it on a tablet or your phone, try and do it on a piece of paper, a book. Yeah, they have these things called books. It's weird. They have yeah. text and font and paper. It's weird. But so that that's helped me. I try not to, if you like drinking alcohol, try not to drink too much before you go to bed, which can cause acid reflux. It can cause disruption in your sleep cycles as well. And then otherwise, so those are big things that help me sleep better. And I'm on that journey right now to continually improving my sleep. Other thing when it comes to the other pillars that I mentioned, hydration. We all just need to drink more water. It's okay if you drink a cup of coffee in the morning, a cup of coffee in the afternoon, but drink a lot of water around that. I used to be someone who drank two, two sodas a day. And so that's a lot of sugar. That's a lot of unnecessary calories. And I quit, not cold turkey, but I quit over the process, a period of six months drinking two sodas a day. And I dropped 10 pounds that year without changing anything else in my physical fitness habits, just dropping soda. So drink more water for males. That's around 13 cups a day for women. That's nine cups a day. That's from National Academy Sports Recommendations. And then for firefighters, stop drinking the energy drinks. <laughs> stop drinking all the powders and supplements that don't need to be drank. If you look at the label and you can't pronounce 10 of the ingredients, first of all, if it's a drink and it has 10 ingredients in it, that gives you a clue that you probably shouldn't drink it. Yes. But if you can't pronounce the names of the chemicals or ingredients in the supplement or the energy drink that you're drinking, Maybe it's time to not drink that anymore. Got that right. Terrible um, stuff. When it comes to nutrition, Dan and I just preach, try and eat whole foods as much as possible. And try to minimize your processed food consumption. Try and minimize your amount of preservatives that you're eating within your foods. We like to say shop around the perimeter of the grocery store instead of buying all the boxes or bags of stuff that are on the inside aisles of the grocery store. So the more natural you can get with your nutrition, the better. Watch your portion size. Americans eat 97% of what's on their plate. That's how we're raised. And so watch your plate size. If you have a smaller, you know, that will decrease your amount of calories and your portions. Try not to have a 14 inch or a 15 inch plate. Try and have more so like an eight inch plate, maybe a 10 inch plate. And then watch what you put on your plate. Can you try and have uh, half of what's on your plate be vegetables. And no, I'm not saying white potatoes. Can it be something green on your plate? And then balance that with a healthy protein, with a healthy starch. And that's generally a good way to go. The hard part about nutrition is that it's highly individualized. And so certain things will lead for success for certain people, but it's whatever is sustainable in the long term. And when I say that, like some people might do Atkins, some people might do keto, some people might count their macros or their calories or all those good things, right? If that's what helps you be successful in the long term, so be it. But I'm not someone who does that. I don't count all my calories and macros and I'm not keto or Atkins, not bashing any of those things. 
Yeah. I just try and do what is sustainable for me in the long term. And yeah, do I still like eating ice cream every now and then? Sure. Do I like having a drink every now and then? Sure. But it's making sure that we don't overindulge in those things that are pleasurable to us. And so making sure that I'm not eating ice cream every single night, which I used to before I really got into fitness, making sure that I'm not having five drinks a night. Think about all those liquid calories that I'm putting into my body. Yep. And then making sure that those are just occasional things. And those are things that we do every now and then. And we've all heard before everything in moderation. And that's true. Even moderation in moderation. Yep. Yep. Uh, so just being smart about your nutrition. Hopefully that's enough nuggets. I didn't over nugget every, anybody. Oh, no, so, that's, uh, I think it's, it all comes down to, like you say, individuals. So yeah. What's going to um, help you be successful? And the yo-yo, the diets that are yo-yo, you lose 10, you gain 20. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two steps forward, four yeah. steps back, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on sleep and you said sleep is, well, being on rotation and shift work is challenging. So you talked about off shift. Is there any strategies that you have when you're on shift? Yeah. Hey, it's okay to nap. I want everybody to hear that. It's okay to nap. I was an officer saying this. That's right. Yeah. And believe it or not, in NFPA 1584, which is the rehab policy, the newest edition, the 2022 edition, it talks about naps. It mentions naps in an yes. NFPA policy, an NFPA standard, I should say. That being said, if you had a rough night, and guys know this on my crew, if you have a rough night and that's day one, we do two days, right? I make sure my guys know if we don't have to get up for anything, for training, for anything important on day two, mm -hmm. they know. I will text them in the middle of the night. If it's the ambulance running a lot of calls in the middle of the night, I say, guys, don't set your alarm. Just right. sleep in. Because to me, it's okay. So they're going to wake up and be at the breakfast table, at the kitchen table at 637 after running all night long. What's the good in that? They're going to be worthless and mentally. Yeah. They're going to be zomb zombies and have that fog. So for me, I'd rather they get as much sleep as possible. If we don't have anything incredibly pressing or important that next morning, because if they were to get up at six thirty seven, be zombies all day and what they take a nap in the afternoon and it's all broken up, I'd rather they get that sleep on day two if they can. And then if they still need a nap after that, later on, so be it. I think someone said before, sometimes you got a nap during the day to be a hero at night. So you can't just be going to be a hard charger all the time and 110% and just draining yourself. Because I think I really do believe with, with in the fire service, with the shift work that we have and how many calls we run at night and how it messes up our sleep cycles and everything. I honestly believe we're taking years off of our life when it comes agree. to our sleep deprivation and sleep disruption. And so honestly, I'm kind of like, it's all about balance, right? You, I don't want you to stay in your bed all day long, <laughs> all day and all night, right? I still want people to do station work, to run calls. Obviously, we're all going to do that no matter what. I still want people to work out at the station and all that stuff. But it's all about making sure that you can get what you can get when you can get it. And so right. if that's a 20-minute nap in the recliner or 20-minute nap in your room, whatever it is, or maybe an hour or two, two hour long nap, get that sleep on duty when you can. Nice. I know you mentioned before magnesium that's been incredibly successful for you. You mind sharing more about that? Yeah. Well, I, well, I know everybody is short in magnesium. Yeah. We just don't get it in our food that we get these days. It's either being processed out or like you say, our diet just doesn't contain those nice green leafy vegetables that contain mm. a lot of magnesium. So I started off with 200, went to 400. Now I'm at 600 milligrams of magnesium a night. So I do 400 at night and I used to have leg cramps almost daily at night from dehydration, but also probably from a little deficiency in magnesium mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Those went away within weeks of taking magnesium. My sleep improved drastically taking magnesium. Now I'm taking in the morning as well to just calm out and spread out that 600 through the day versus taking it all at night. It can upset your stomach a little bit if you're starting out. So it's best mm -hmm. to consult your health professional or whatever mm -hmm. before taking stuff like that, but maybe start small, start 200, 400. It took me probably three, four years to get to 600 before I felt like my body could handle it. But yeah. I would say it's a game changer supplement in regards to sleep and muscle Definitely the muscle spasms, huge thing mm -hmm. for myself. And I know a lot of firefighters and their big fight or flight muscles are core quads and hams. Those get mm -hmm. very tight with a lot of firefighters. And then the more you sit as well, you get tighter and tighter. 
And, and going back to hydration, I'm thinking most firefighters, including myself at one time, was severely dehydrated. Oh, yeah. And that really helps a lot. So, yeah, it's been a good supplement for sure. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Anything we can do to help, right? Yes, exactly. In closing, it's been a real honor chatting with you. How can people find out more about you and your books and how can they purchase your fabulous books? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. And we could talk for hours. Good. It's been fun. Yeah. So Firefighter Success, you can go to firefightersuccessbook.com. There you can get books. If you want a bulk order for your fire department or your fire college or whatever you need, you can get a bulk order discount there. So just message me through that. All books from the website there come signed. You can also access my podcast through that firefightersuccessbook.com, the Firefighter Success Podcast. Make sure you listen to Chief George is a podcast that he has there. It's a great one. And then Firefighter Functional Fitness, that's firefighterfunctionalfitness.com. And we're still doing workshops, still going all, all over the United States. And if you want to have us up in Canada, so be it. We'll come up there or wherever. But yeah, still deep into doing those workshops and, and helping people with their fitness, with their recovery, nutrition, hydration. But if you want to contact me, you can just click on either of those websites as a contact us contact me link and you'll get a hold of me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you just type in the search bar, firefighter success, you'll find it or firefighter functional fitness, you'll find it there too. Fantastic. Captain, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. I really, I look at you as a leader in the fire service, somebody I've looked up to. And when I was actually on your show, I felt a little, I would say star. Starstruck. Yeah, starstruck. <laughs> but I was, because it was like, I've honestly read your books and I looked up to you as a, well, I still look up to you as a leader in an organization that's changing the culture of the fire service in a positive way. I just want to say that. And I, well, I'm honored. I'm, I'm honored. You've so, had an impact uh, on my life and my career as well. So I appreciate that. I'm honored and humbled by you saying that. And thanks for having me on your show. And it's been a really fun time. Awesome. Bye everyone. Jim Moss, check him out. Until next time, stay well. Thank you for tuning in to Beneath the Helmet. We hope that this podcast has provided you with valuable insights into the world of firefighters' health and wellness. Remember, caring for your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being is crucial to achieving optimal performance. Join us next time on Beneath the Helmet for more inspiring conversations. Until then, stay well.